Some of you are aware that I enjoy the outdoors, especially deer hunting and trout fishing. But since I started my doctoral work two years ago, I've not had a whole lot of time to do either one of those things. Nonetheless, it's September, and it's officially deer season, but only if you hunt with a bow. Now, I have a compound bow at home, and I've hunted with it for years, but I've only killed one deer with it in my lifetime. I have missed a lot of deer or just scared them off when I'm drawing my bow back because they're so uh, aware of what's going on in their surroundings. You see, bow hunting is so much more challenging than using a shotgun or a rifle. Now, I don't know if you've ever shot a bow and arrow before, but it's fun even if you're not a hunter. Now, at home, I have a foam target that I shoot at and practice with, and on this particular target, it has different bullseyes all over it so that you can shoot at different angles and try to master how to shoot from different distances. Now, to shoot a bow, you must stand back at a particular distance from your target, and then you line up the sights that are on the bow with your eyes, and you aim straight at the target that you're aiming for, and then you release. Simple enough, right? Now, if you really want to uh, be as accurate as you possibly can be, you might purchase this thing called a trigger release, which is a strap that attaches to your hand, and it has this little bitty trigger on it that you attach to the bowstring, and you lock it in. And when you pull it back, instead of letting go with your fingers, you just touch a button, just like that, and it releases the bow. And honestly, I have one of those, and it makes it a whole lot easier because it reduces shaking and mobility while you're trying to shoot the bow. Now, if you're going to learn how to shoot a bow, you have to, well, back up from the target, and it's better to start closer than further back. Uh, And so you begin maybe 10 yards or so back, and when you get good at hitting that with your sights, you move back to 20 yards and to 30 yards and maybe even to 40 yards. But the further away that you get from your target, the harder it is to hit the mark. And it's challenging because you must keep your eye fixated on the target as you're holding the bow steady. Now, that sounds easy, but honestly, if you're outside, there are these things called mosquitoes. And it's funny when you're hunting how a mosquito just happens to land on you at the moment that you're actually aiming at a deer. Or there's this thing called the wind, which can alter your shot or alter your movement. Or sometimes you just get one of those itches at the wrong time, right? Or maybe there's a noise that causes you to be distracted. Or maybe even if you're hunting, the sheer adrenaline of knowing that you're about to shoot an animal that you've been waiting and praying for can cause you simply to shake and to miss your intended target. I find that it's easy to miss the target, but if you're intentionally focused and hold steady, you can hit the mark as intended. And it's always a great feeling if you're shooting, and especially target shooting, where you can put several arrows in the same bullseye right together. But it's also very frustrating when you're aiming at the target, or maybe a deer or whatever, and you completely miss your mark because you've been distracted and you've moved. Today, as we continue our sermon series in the book of Ephesians, Paul has a lot to say about hitting the mark when it comes to our faith. If you were here last Sunday, you remember that we talked about the importance of being one church, and because we serve one Lord who created all of us together, 
And as I mentioned last week, Paul is writing to uh, churches in Ephesus that are mostly comprised of Gentiles, people who were not Jewish and who worshiped pagan gods for the most part until they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, among these families, these Gentile families, there are also Jews interspersed in these churches, and it presents a challenge at times when you have a mix of people coming from diverse backgrounds together into a church because they can bring their backgrounds with them. So these Jewish people in the church had a sense that in order to be Christian, you must become Jewish and adhere to uh, their law, right? The Torah. And there should be certain ways that you eat and handle food and wash your hands. There are ritual practices that one must have. Men must be circumcised. And they would put these things on the Gentiles. But Paul said, hey, that's unnecessary because we are created in Christ and he has freed us from this stuff. So you get these mixed messages that are going on. Well, the Gentiles who are there who didn't know Christ before Paul established these churches— They had a tendency to mix their old way of life with their new way of life. This was a challenge, too. And so Paul instructs them, and we talked about this last week, to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. And then he goes on to address the importance of staying the course in that. And so he encourages the Ephesians to reject their old ways of life, which Paul says is ignorance and the hardening of their hearts, Because the old way of life is indulgent, it's impure, and it's full of greed. Instead, they're to put on this new life in Jesus Christ that they've been called to in true righteousness and holiness. And refusing to do so, says Paul, is to grieve the Holy Spirit whom they've been sealed with and redeemed with, who is trying to guide and lead them to live a life of holiness as they've been called. And this so often in doing these things and resisting the Spirit causes them to miss the mark, to miss the target. So this leads us to our passage today in which Paul transitions saying this, therefore be imitators of God as dearly beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul gives a clear vision for how they and for how we are to live, and he tells us to be, as Grant said with kids this morning, to be imitators of God. Now, to imitate something is to do exactly what we have seen before our very eyes. And with imitation, there is no room for being creative and doing our own thing. Instead, we replicate what already been done. So when Paul talks of imitation, he's talking about imitating God's behaviors as his dearly beloved children. Now, many of you know that I have two boys. They've kind of grown up now. One's a freshman in high school. The other's a sixth grader. But when they were little kids, as a father, I would um, spend time with them and play with them. And um, I found out real quickly as a parent that children will imitate you. Uh, whenever you do things, for good or bad. And sometimes there were things they imitated that I wasn't really proud of. But one time I remember when I was playing with them, and I did this all the time with them, um, I was playing around and I I had this thing called the tickle monster because I like to tickle my children and make them laugh. And um, I would get out the tickle monster, and it's simply my two fingers. And I would say to them, tickle monster, tickle monster, tickle monster. Uh, tickle monster! And I tickled them, and they'd, ah, oh, daddy, you're so funny, you know, whatever. Okay? And I'd do that all the time, and I'd do it over and over and over again. After doing that with them, 
You know what they would do? Daddy, tickle monster. They wouldn't do it quite as good as I did it, but they would try to do exactly what I did. And it would always bring a smile to my face. So when Paul is talking about being dearly beloved children in Christ who imitate God, this is what he's talking about. Not necessarily doing the tickle monster thing, but doing what God does, right? Doing what God does. So he encourages us to imitate God's behavior, which is a radical love found in Jesus Christ, to love as Christ has first loved us. And he says this love, well, it's sacrificial in nature because Jesus gave up his life for us. This love is a radical, unconditional love with no strings attached. It's not selfish. It's not rude. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not envious or easily angered. You see, Christ is the target. And just like shooting a bow, we're to, to aim to live and to love just like Jesus Christ, because God has shown us that. But the truth is, so often we miss the mark, right? Now, it's not easy to love like Jesus because we're, well, that's not normal behavior for sinful human beings, right? In fact, the Hebrew word for sin is hata, and the Greek for it is hamartia. And you know what it means? Both words, whether in Hebrew or in Greek, simply mean this, to miss the mark. Because that language, well, it is modeled after an archer shooting an arrow at a target or someone who's throwing a spear at a target and completely missing the target. Not even like missing the bullseye a little bit, but I mean not even close to the target. So sin in Scripture is basically missing the mark. It's not even getting near the target. And sometimes, as the church, that's our problem. We can terribly miss the mark when it comes to imitating God. And so Paul goes on to say, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil, or making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, if you go back to your Bible and you open it up or your phone, whatever you read your Bible on, you'll notice that I skipped a large portion between verses 3 and verses 14. It's all interconnected. Paul lays out a number of sins that totally miss the mark when it comes to our relationship with God. He says sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, and then later he starts talking about getting drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Here's the deal. The contextual problem in Paul's day is that a lot of the church folks are claiming Jesus as Lord of their life, but then they're reverting to their old habits and ways. They're doing what they did before they came to faith in Jesus, and they're blending it together. It's kind of like they treat God like a light switch, right? So when they come to church on Sunday, um, they just flip on God, right? Because that's a time to be holy and righteous. And then when they go back to their regular work week, they just 
flip God off, and they do what they're used to doing, right? That is the behavior that is taking place. And we call this living hypocrisy because we know that you can't mix holiness and sin together. That's not what God calls us to do. Our hypocrisy can do more damage than good. It can lead people away from following Jesus. And I believe that's the danger for the church in every generation. We can affirm our faith for God and accept His gracious gift of salvation, but also live as if nothing has truly changed in our lives. Sometimes we treat Christ's salvation like an insurance policy, and we just put it up into a safe And it's sitting there for us just in case there's a day when disaster hits and we need to pull it out and cash in on it. And I have to tell you, Jesus is certainly a good neighbor, and you are definitely in good hands with him. But he's not an insurance salesman. He's our Lord. And he calls us to follow him. And he wants us to draw close to him and to imitate his ways. According to Paul, this is wise living. Making the most of every opportunity. It means that we're not aimlessly living our lives without purpose or direction, but that we purposely follow Jesus because he's delivered us from the darkness that has held us captive. In fact, Paul says prior to our passage, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now, I remember as a child when I would have to get up to go to school in the mornings, which was a challenge, by the way. I didn't like to get up to go to school anyway. But my father would come into my room, and he would turn the light on, and then he would leave. The light switch was not next to my bed, (laughs) where I could just flip it back off again. I'd have to get up to go turn it off. And if I'm up, I might as well be up, right? But it would drive me crazy because when we would flip that light on, it was blinding to me. My eyes had adjusted all night long to the darkness. And when the light hit me, it was like blinding, and it would take me a minute or two to adjust my eyes to the light. Now, I don't know about you, but it can also work in the reverse way, right? If you've been in the light all day long, and then you go into a room and they turn the lights off where it's completely dark... It will also kind of make you blind, but you'll not know where you are or what's going on. Our eyes have to adjust to the light. You see, Christ has come, and he has led us out of the darkness. He is the light that's been flipped on right before school starts, and he's saying it's time to wake up and to see and to live in the light and not to desire to go back to the darkness because he has illuminated our path so that we might walk rightly. But sometimes, even though Jesus is the target, we choose to remain in the dark, or rather than drawing close to him, we continue to back up further and further from the target, easily getting distracted and still missing the mark. We can easily revert to our own wisdom that leads us in the wrong direction or make following Jesus a voluntary option among many others. Instead of making the most of every opportunity for Christ, we focus on making the most of every opportunity for ourselves. And Paul says, this is foolishness that doesn't see the urgency of following Christ. It puts what 
I want ahead of pleasing God or seeking God's will. Everything then is centered around me and not Christ. So this leads to nominal Christianity, Christianity in name only. We say that we love Jesus, but our actions speak otherwise. And the reality is that the pandemic has enhanced this type of living. People have just left church completely. Or maybe because the church doesn't do what they want and when they want it. Even devout followers of Jesus can miss the mark when we somehow think that church programs that we have or that we participate in are mine. They shouldn't be disrupted and they can't be changed. And sometimes the church can miss it completely, missing the Lord's will because our vision is just too small. But the ultimate problem is that we're living to please me and not God. And we get drunk on wine, so to speak, indulging in anything that is focused on making me happy. And I have to tell you, living life simply for me is dull, and it isn't very impactful for God's kingdom. There's enough of me in the world, isn't there? We need imitators of God who love as Christ loves us, who serve as Christ serves us. It's not about getting what we want. It's about pleasing God. In fact, if you go back and look at all the sins that Paul talks about in his big long list, every single one of them are focused on self-indulgence. You see, we need godly people who choose wisdom over foolishness. James, the brother of Jesus, he puts it this way. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. You see, here's the deal. God is the beginning, the middle, and the end. God is the source of everything that is and will ever be. And life is created, our lives are created to be in relationship with the God who created everything. God is the target that we should be aiming for, for His will, which, by the way, is something that we can know, truly. Sometimes when we think about the Lord's will, we're thinking more about, well, who will I marry, or what job will I have next, or what is the Lord's will in all this? Well, you're not going to find that in the Bible, I'm afraid. You might hear God speak to you about those things through His Word, but you're not going to find the direct answers to those questions right there in any page on the Bible. But when we're talking about knowing the Lord's will, when Paul speaks of this, he's talking about God's behavior that we're called to imitate, and that it's as clear as it can possibly be. In the whole Old Testament, in all of the New Testament, because it is revealed to us right in front of our faces in the face of God in Jesus Christ. He's the bullseye that we're to aim for 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything in life is centered and revolves around Jesus Christ. And God has put us here with one another, the church. And our faith is personal, but it's not called to be private. It's called to be shared. Together as the church, we're called to live in Christ. We're called to grow in Christ, to serve in Christ, and to share in Christ together. And God calls us together to make the most of every single opportunity because he says the days are evil. And so if we're children of the light, then we need to turn on the lights for those who sit in the darkness by sharing Christ rightly in our own lives. We should be careful of how we live so that others aren't turned off from Jesus by our own hypocrisy. So friends, as we gather today, I encourage you to look around the sanctuary. Go ahead, take a look. You've got to move your head to do that. Who's here today? Take a good look. My question to you is, who's not here today? Take a good look. While many of our flock watch from home on our live stream because of the risk of being in a large space with a lot of people, there are still many who have completely disengaged in the life of the church. Many have moved away. They've been distracted by the target. Paul says that we're to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. And there are many who are missing out on the worship that centers us as God's people and draws us close to Jesus. And if we're to live wisely and godly lives, and if we're to aim to imitate Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, we're to play a part in that. Maybe we're called to reach out to those we're missing. Remember those little bands people used to wear around their hands? W, W, J, D. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus, Jesus would reach out. Jesus would hunt them down. Jesus would leave all of you guys here, (laughs) sorry, and he would go out and he would find who's not here and he would bring them back. That's what Jesus would do. And if we're to be imitators of God, then maybe we're called to do the same. I want to encourage you to pick up the phone and to reach out and to call someone and to let them know that they're missed conversation shouldn't be judgmental. Where have you been? God's going to get you if you don't get back to church. That's not the God we serve. It's meant to encourage and to remind them that we're called to be together. It's Christ's church. Your call could be the opportunity that draws them back to the Lord. You see, the good news And what we affirm together as the church is that even when we miss the mark and when we miss the target by a mile and when we do it over and over and over again, we serve a God who is bigger than that and whose grace knows no bounds and offers forgiveness for all who acknowledge it and confess that they need it. That's 
worthy of praise. And we've all done it. And we all do it. And yet God forgives us time and time again. And so my encouragement for you today is to do today what may not be possible tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if we'll be here tomorrow. We don't know if they'll be here tomorrow. There's an urgency that we are called as Christ's people to aim for Jesus and to lead people to Jesus. And I'm not just encouraging our adults to do that. If you are a youth in this sanctuary today, Grant is starting youth group back tonight, and I hope you'll be here. And when you gather, I want you to notice who's not here. Who should be here? Who can we not have youth group without? Pick up the phone or Snapchat, whatever you guys do, and encourage them to come and to be here. And even if you're new to our church family today, maybe this is the first time you've visited worship with us, and you're like, oh my goodness, this doesn't apply to me. Well, no, it applies to everybody, because the reality is we all know somebody who's put their faith on pause. Or we know somebody who has no faith at all, and who sits in the darkness and needs Jesus to shine his light and blind them, just like he did Paul, so they might see the light and walk in that light. Reach out to them. Encourage them. Make the most of every opportunity. The truth is, Jesus is our target. And we need to aim for him every single day. And the good news is that if we keep our aim on Jesus, the Holy Spirit has promised to help us in every way to be imitators of God that we're called to be so that God can use our lives to make an impact for his kingdom. That's why we're here. Why God has created us to know Him, but also to make Him known. But the reality is, it's up to us to be intentional to do it and to make the most of every opportunity. So, friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.